Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly Jean Harrison, Features Editor at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Tyler Smith and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Fintech Times News and Views. Francis, Tyler, how are you both doing this week? Hey, Polly. Yeah, I've been really, really busy this week. And we've just come off the back of a really successful Fintech Week London, uh, which was really, really good. And uh, been able to meet loads of really cool people and really cool fintechs. So, yeah, it's been really good this week and very hot, very, very hot this week as well. So, yeah. How about you, Francis? I would find it hilarious if you once started a podcast with it. Yeah, we haven't been busy this week. We haven't really done anything. Just, you know, just you know, sat around. Funny. Yeah, we just sat around just having a good time. But yeah, no, we actually have had a very busy week. As Tyler said, coming off the back of Fintech Week London and sort of preparing for our Fintech for Good uh, focus next month. So it has been a very busy time and things have been obviously made much more difficult by the weather. So yeah, we're just recovering, having a good time. Getting work done. It is mercifully cold today, though, so it's all right. Everything's fine. At least it is where I am. But no, so lots to get through. It's just stuffy in London. Yeah. Well, that's London, though. I feel like it's always hot in London. But anyway, uh, lots to get through today. Lots of fintech to be talking about. Francis, what are you bringing to the table? This week, I am bringing Go Henry's PixPay acquisition to the table and talking about financial inclusion. Uh, sorry, financial education in Europe. Fabulous. One of our absolute favourite topics to discuss. Um, I am going to be looking at biometric payments cards. And Tyler, we're going to come straight to you um, for our first article of today. So go ahead, take it away. Am I kicking it off? Oh, my goodness. I, I don't think I can handle the pressure. Well, thank you very much, guys. I'm really looking forward to discussing all of your wonderful articles. But well, this week I had a really interesting piece of information land on my desk. Uh, and essentially what it was is it was the UK government reconsidering the AI laws in the UK, right? And they've basically rejected the EU as they did with everything with the crypto regulation. They did the same. Um, and now it's, now it's AI and they don't want to be like the EU anymore. So essentially what, the, what it is is the EU has this thing called the AI Act, which is like a one-size-fits-all sort of blanket approach to AI regulation in the financial services industry and also in like its wider use as well. Um, but the UK government have been like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going we're gonna to take a bit more of a tailored approach. And this is essentially what this article is identifying and, and discussing. So uh, right now, I did have a look just before we did the podcast. And uh, essentially, it's a new bill that's uh, come, into the, to come into the House of Commons. It's on its second reading. So it's qu- in quite early stages at the moment. But it's essentially like an off-branch of the Data uh, Protection and Digital Information Bill which is really reconsidering how regulations approach new technologies like AI. If we look at AI in the UK, you can see why they would really want to rethink the the data laws as they are. Because right now, there's 1.3 million UK businesses who are going to be using AI in some way by 2040. Uh, And this will incur a £200 billion investment into the into the technology, which is which is really, really interesting. But essentially, what it does is it says to the regulators, right, this is 
what we want to happen, but what actually happens is down to you. So essentially, they've approached Ofcom, uh, the Competition and Markets Authority, the Information Commissioner's Office, the Financial Conduct Authority, of course, and the Medicine and Healthcare Products Regula Regulatory Agency, because uh, AI has some uses in healthcare as well. And they've approached these, these main regulatory bodies, and they've said, literally, you can interpret these laws however you want. There's six principles, and it, uh, it, all of the principles sort of pioneer transparency, they, trans uh, they pioneer like uh, fairness, uh, security, of course, is AI being used safely? Um, do the consumers really understand it? Uh, if there's problems, how are those problems going to be mitigated? How are those risks going to be addressed? What was really interesting from the six pillars that the UK government put forward is they said that there was going there needed to be like a legal person within each business that was going to be responsible for AI, not exclusively like oh I'm the AI officer, but uh, there was there needed to be like an identifiable go to person that was like right I'm Mr AI I'm Mrs AI or whatever. Um, so it's essentially, it passes, it sort of diffuses the the regulation. It says, it says to the regulatory bodies, you can interpret these how you want. And essentially, the goal of doing this and taking this sort of very tailored approach to regulating AI is that um, it's generally to drive innovation. There's a lot of hurdles that people uh, come up against when trying to apply uh, AI in a in a practical way, and I think that was really embodied in in the EU's AI Act, in that it was very difficult to tailor it to a specific use because the regulations weren't as tailored. So I think there really wants to be this sort of mirroring um, to to this sort of approach. We we explored um, AI is obviously a topic that we explore a lot at the FinTech Times. We we had a report from. Mambu and I think it was Google Cloud. They did a they did a joint joint report which they really showed uh, AI's leading position within the banks of the future. Uh, on top of this, we had uh, Richard Shearer of Tintra, and he he sort of put forward this point quite early on in this op-ed that he did for us, where he was like, uh, especially in in terms of anti money laundering, and how AI would be applicable in that in that sector is that one size fits all just doesn't work with AI. So I think my my question to you guys in this sense, obviously this bill is really in early days. It could change and it's very difficult to make judgments on something that actually hasn't come into practical being yet. But my questions to you are, do you think that uh, it would be beneficial to take this sort of tailored approach to AI? And do you think that there'll be a uh, a level where AI almost goes beyond the the regulations? Because we saw, uh, I think, at Google quite recently, they were starting to prove that that AI had some sort of sentient being, like uh, consciousness. So, do you think that AI will overcome the the regulations on its own? And more importantly, do you think that a tailored more flexible approach to the regulations around this technology are going to be beneficial in the long term. Um, so I know, Francis, that you're, you're quite into AI, so I'm going to turn to you first. What do you think? Yeah, I've got a couple of views to sort of say here. And sort of in answer to your question, yes, I think AI will inevitably go beyond sort of the boundaries of regulation, not to go all sort of Terminator on this, sort of, you know, 
robots are going to come to life and it's going to be the end of the world type of thing. Not like that necessarily, but I think there is definitely going to be an advancement in AI that will eventually surpass regulation. However, if I think the more tailored approach is good, yes and no. I think there are definitely some benefits to having flexibility. It does allow the sort of companies to say, you know, that we can we can sort of haggle in a way almost what we want to do with our regulation. We can sort of try and bend the regulations a little bit more. But I think, especially having looked at sort of Latin America and how sort of different currencies impact how easy or how difficult, more accurately, it is to sort of expand, I think something similar could be said in terms of regulations in Europe. So for a UK company to expand into Europe, if they've got their own UK regulations and then want to expand into the EU, they're going to have to then go through a long and arduous process to try and make themselves compliant. Whereas if they were already under this sort of blanket regulation bill or the the act, like you said, I think it would be a much, much easier process. And similarly for European companies expanding into the UK, they're then going to be under their own regulation. So I think there are pros and cons to it, but I think for the most part, it's sort of a just wait and see sort of how things actually do turn out. Yeah, that's actually true. I, I hadn't really considered that too much, which is a really interesting point that you've raised in that there are going to be sort of scalable issues with, with this sort of tailored approach. And it's also, you know, in the end of the day, these, these regulators are people, they're not machines. So it's like, is it not just down to more of a personal preference to to how you interpret something? I don't know. And and like a case-by-case basis, is it always going to be equitable and fair in every case? Because it's, it's being determined by, by a group of people that it's different each time, depending on which regulator you go to. Polly, what's your view on this? Yeah, there are there are two things that you said um, in the beginning, Tyler, that I kind of just wanted to sort of come back to. The first one is, uh, do consumers understand what AI is? And obviously, how does that kind of feed into this idea of regulation? And I thought that was just a really interesting thing, because I don't think consumers do. You know, I think not to, um, what's the right word, I guess, belittle people or, or whatever, but I feel like a lot of kind of just the lay people around feel like AI is still sort of like hell from 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, it's a scary robot in a computer that is going to be a person and going to take over the world or, or something like that. Um, and the idea that AI is actually practical in just everyday life and you're already using AI, you just don't know it because it's hidden behind apps or you know, back end of computers or whatever, I don't think is still quite understood. Maybe that's me being a bit, you know, maybe I'm not quite correct there, but I I feel like that's an interesting thing because I don't think consumers quite understand things yet. Um, And the second thing I thought was interesting was what you're saying, how companies will need to have an identifiable person in charge of AI. And I thought that was a really interesting facet because it kind of, it made me think back to when I used to work in an office. And so obviously with health and safety laws in the UK, with every company has to have a person that is in charge of health and safety, not like you were saying, Tyler, not necessarily, you know, health and safety director, but they are in charge of the health and safety. And in one of my previous jobs, it was me. And I know nothing about health and safety, but I was the person in charge of health and safety for the office. And that kind of made me think, oh, that's really interesting because then if you have someone in a company who is the designated person in charge of the AI, how can you ensure that they actually know what they're doing and actually are putting the the systems in place that they need to, you know, or is it just going to be a case of a, a tick box checking exercise going, yeah, well, Dave's in charge of AI, he's got it sorted. 
and how you know i think it's a good idea but just practically is it i think there's going to need to be quite a lot of thought around how that works um but that those are just sort of my two my two cents my two cents on my two topics yeah you 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 really hit the nail on the head with what you're saying polly and i think uh, as i as i mentioned you know this is only on its second reading within the house of within the house of commons and it's going to go into the house of lords it's going to go through the whole process so i think it really could change um, I think these proposals are outlines, but yeah, it goes really back into people's understanding. I think this overarching idea of how people understand it, it will go into how people then interpret it, you know, uh, and then regulate it, of course. But um, we could speak about this all day, but um, unfortunately we've run out of time, we've run out of AI time. Um, so so uh, we'll have to move on, but very, very interesting and we'll have to see what, what comes of it. Um, Polly, what have you got in store for us today? Sure. Thank you, Tyler. So today I wanted to bring to the podcast um, a piece, uh, basically Fingerprints, a company, which I think is a quite a fantastic name for a company. Uh, but Fingerprints has found 31% of Germans would switch banks to get a biometric payment card. Uh, so this was a thought leadership piece that was contributed uh, by Fingerprints. Uh, basically going into sort of Germany and the current contactless market within Germany. Uh, so obviously, I don't want to beat the dead horse with the stick sort of thing, but contactless is huge now because of the pandemic and that, you know, that's all we'll say on the matter. So there's been a huge push to digital in payments um, and in Germany in specifically has been also quite a big um, leap. You know, traditionally Germany was very heavily reliant on cash. However, sort of coming into now 2022, there's been a huge dramatic transformation uh, within Germany, and now, you know, contactless payments are pretty much the norm, as they are everywhere, kind of, pretty much. Um, but basically, there's been a sort of, you know, a lot of kind of movements and shifts within the sort of German payment industry, um, and so kind of this rise of contactless is very much sort of attributed to quite a few different things, um, but six in ten Germans now make contactless payments with their smartphone or a contactless card, which is an increase from 56% in 2021 and 47% in 2020. Uh, so that's 60% now. Um, and, you know, there is a, a greater appreciation within the German payments world and sort of the German consumers that sort of the improved convenience of payments without a PIN or a signature, um, as well as growing trust in security measures and assurances from the issuers and merchants has really sort of helped move this along. And it's the idea of this trust has helped move things. And this is kind of where biometric payments come in. So the idea of biometrics really sort of helped along by this idea of consumer trust. And consumer trust is only going to be amplified by adding fingerprint sensors and biometric authentication to a contactless card. In the article, it's referred to a lot as contactless 2.0. So the idea of it's the next generation of contactless payments rather than just, you know, booping your card, you boop your card and then scan your fingerprint or whatever it might be. Um, so it's the idea of keeping the convenience of a contactless payment, but increasing the security. Um, and, you know, apparently the demand for biometric payment cards already exists in Germany with fingerprints finding that over half of German consumers surveyed would prefer having a biometric payment card to a standard card. Um, with 46% willing to pay an average of $8.70 per year for one, 
um, and 31% of consumers would switch banks to get hold of one. So basically, the whole gist of this article is that the German market is ready and very much willing to continue its payments evolution towards biometric payment cards. You know, it's it's gotten on board with contactless and now it's ready for the next step. And I just thought this was kind of interesting because obviously, like I said before, contactless is kind of old hat now. It's like, yes, OK, contactless, huge thing, really it m- made it big. And now it's kind of, that's just the norm. But I kind of find it interesting to think about what's next, you know, what's the next big thing and whether biometric payments with the contactless, is is that going to be it? Is it going to be biometric authentication on contactless payments? Or, you know, what's that going to look like? And I kind of want to just bring it to you guys so we could talk about this really. And also the kind of the fact that it was Germany, I thought that was just an interesting country to to sort of focus on particularly um, but anyway, Tyler, what do you think about this? Okay, I think I think that biometrics is really cool. I think that it's going to have a really big impact. I think it is going to be adopted, and I do agree that it's sort of the next evolutionary stage of contactless. However, I do see the associated cost as like being one of the major downfalls of it. I mean, like I I don't pay for my card. So why would you leave something for free when when you would have to pay for something that's only, in my opinion, only slightly better? Because with biometrics, right, you ha- it's it's it is it isn't contactless; it's contact, you know. So in that way, it's almost a, a, a more like complicated process to make payments. So I think I don't know. I really I really don't. It doesn't sit well with me that you have to pay for it. And it's like, it's almost like your bank being like, you have to pay for contactless. If, if you had to pay for contactless, do you think that it would be, have been as successful? I don't, I don't think it would have been. I don't think it would have enjoyed as much success if you had to pay for it. So, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I think that it will do well. I think that it will do well. And I think it will do well to secure people against... Like payment fraud and and um, identity theft, but yeah, I really, I really do see the cost as like one of the major downfalls of it. I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't pay for for biometrics. Had they asked me, I would have said no. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting uh, viewpoint because you wonder kind of what the cost will be if there is a cost at all. Because I know um, a lot of just general people bank for free. You know, like you, you can get free bank accounts. I currently have my bank account is free, but then to have, you know, better interest rates or, like, different features in your bank account than, that you know, there might be a cost involved, you know, a couple of pounds a month or, you know, and going up. Um, so I wonder if, you know, the idea of biometric authentication will come under this kind of premium feature and one that you have to pay for, or will it be rolled out for free, or will it be different between banks? Because that could be interesting as well. Maybe one bank will try and use it as a marketing tool. Um, but interestingly, just very quickly, what you said about cost, Tyler, it's also popped into my head of cost to the merchant because um, everyone will have to get new POS systems um, and POS systems are expensive as they are. So having to upgrade everyone's POS system to one with a fingerprint scanner or an eye scanner or whatever it is. Um, and will they all be, you know, uniform? Will one bank have the same biometric authentication as another bank or will it all be different? It's a very interesting it's a very interesting thing to think about. Um, but Francis, what do you think? Just on the topic of uh, payment or how much it would cost, it, in the article it says that 46% of, of the respondents were willing to pay an average of $8.70 per year 
for uh, for a biometric card. So I guess that shows that there is still some interest, even if you do have to pay for it. But um, I thought that in general, I don't think Germany is alone in this uh, in this drive for biometric payments. I think that's sort of something we see a lot in, especially in developed countries as we're sort of looking for the next sort of contactless 2.0 as you sort of mentioned so sort of what's the next step biometric payments do seem to be the solution there um so i don't think germany is alone in this i think like a lot of the trends discussed are probably seen elsewhere there are definitely some inconveniences with like biometric payments that i'm sure are discussed like simple things like dirt or there's just no recognition or gloves or or sunglasses stuff like that that just means it's not recognized or you know a mask or something because of the pandemic if that people are still enforced to do that so i think there are definitely some some cons to it but ultimately i think the fact that people want it almost shows that they're aware of sort of cyber security and sort of the new the new level of cyber attacks that are happening so the fact that they want a better and more secure way of making their payments is is a good thing is it sort of shows awareness which is ultimately what we all want. We all want to be aware and sort of in tune with what's happening. So I think there's, again, sort of similar to what I said to, with Tyler's article, there's there's two sides to the coin, really, and it sort of depends which way you look at it. No, yeah, no, that was awesome, Francis. Yeah, thank you. I think a really interesting idea. And I don't know, again, it's one of those things that we all have to wait and see what's going to happen. But yeah, I agree with everything both of you have said. So anyway, moving on. Francis, why don't you do your article for us? Thank you, Polly. I will. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> my article is from Go Henry, and it's about uh, an acquisition that they made of PixPay, a French fintech. So, Go Henry, the prepaid debit card and financial education app for kids aged 6 to 18, has acquired French fintech PixPay in a deal that will see the financial education pioneer expand into Europe for the first time. So 10 years after it launched in the UK, creating a new category in the financial services, this new deal will enable GoHenry to rapidly expand its 2 million plus UK and US member base and accelerate growth across Europe as the company seeks to deliver on its mission to make every kid smart with money. So this is going to be a massive thing for financial education because as we all know and as we also mentioned in this podcast on repeat, financial education is extremely important and sort of the much like with sort of mu- uh, with instruments, the sooner you learn it at a younger age, the better it is in the future. It's, things are just easier to understand at a, a young age and they stick with you. Whereas if you try to learn something at an older age, it always seems to be more difficult for some reason. Um, one thing about, or that it was quite interesting about the acquisition though, is that GoHenry and PixPay will continue to operate under their own brands with no change in leadership or headquarters uh, or headcount. But sort of discussing the importance of financial education, I think now, especially as we sort of alluded to at the start when we were talking about the weather, climate change is extremely important right now. And I think learning about the e- what companies are doing ESG-wise is something that probably goes unspoken for a lot. And it's something that probably should be discussed more. And if it's learnt about at a young age, I think... Com- uh, customers will be more vigilant of it when looking to deal with new companies they'll sort of think right what is the impact this company is having on the environment and i think that's a really good thing similarly as sort of discussing what we were saying in tyler's article about this idea of a blanket regulation i do like the idea of a, of a blanket financial education app sort of this idea that everyone's going to have the same sort of learning no matter where you're from 
I think is great. And I think if everyone has the same thing, sort of learning, right, this is how things work in the UK, this is how things work in, in France, in Spain, in Italy, wherever you might go, in the US, as Go Henry has members there, I think this idea of, um, of united learning is really, really good. And it can, like I said, it can incorporate teaching into this and a, and a teaching opportunity for people to understand how things work elsewhere. And ultimately, again, this is just, a fantastic tool which I think will do really really well so I'm glad to see that they're expanding into Europe so I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on this if it's if it's if it's the right move do you think that there shouldn't be this one-size-fits-all when it comes to financial education uh, what are your thoughts uh, Tyler I'll go to you first oh well, we love go Henry don't we I am I, um, I really think that um, yeah as I said in our previous podcast like it really depends what you take from what they're offering you like you could you could learn whatever you wanted to learn as long as as long as you applied yourself. I think that uh, Go Henry are really making big steps in this space. I think it was at the end of last month of June that they they announced they were going to uh, do a collaboration with Salesforce. They were going to uh, run like a learning program on their uh, Trailhead platform. So they they're making really big. Uh, jumps in this and if we look at it if we look at this sort of collaboration on its own um, I think that with with PixPay I think like it could seem a little bit limited but then if we look at the wider picture of, of what they're doing with like Salesforce and and other people like that I think um, they're, they're really sort of expanding themselves and like spreading themselves to make it accessible to as many people as possible so I do think I do think Go Henry are in are chasing the right car you know i think they, they're making um good movements in this space unlike really anybody that we we really see in in fintech right now i think they really are leading the space in terms of financial education but then yeah it, it goes back to you know what i was saying it, it depends what you want to take from it if you engage in these courses if you sign up for them you could just not attend and then be like oh well, i didn't learn anything or you could you know really dedicate yourself and learn quite a lot so i think um I think it's really interesting. I think they're they're running different workshops and and behaving in ways that that make sure that they appeal to as wide an audience as possible. Yes, I think I think Go Henry have a, quite a wide net at the moment, and I'm I'm really excited to see what what they come up with next. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about the expansion uh, with PixPay. Is that this singular thing isn't isn't going to do that much but I think it's a step in the right direction and it's going to open up a whole bunch of new doors which will enable Go Henry to sort of as you said sort of chase the right car um Polly what are your thoughts yeah no I think you know the, the things that Go Henry are doing and they've been really um like coming out with the announcements of like new features and like different acquisitions at the moment they're like really going for it and I think having this standardized idea of financial education I think is a good thing I mean if you look at schools traditionally at least in the uk everything is pretty standardized you know i know we have like differing like boards and stuff and not everyone will necessarily learn the same things school to school but the i but things are very much sort of standardized and kept to sort of very similar ways and the curriculum at least you know between different school boards are all very similar so i think having this standardized way of doing financial education and one sort of one way of doing it i think it can only be a good thing because then it's it's all just it's all there and it's all done and people can 
go into it and learn. And I think that's amazing. And, you know, we talk a lot about financial inclusion on the podcast, not fin- oh, not financial inclusion, financial education. Sorry. They're two very similar words in my brain. Um, we talk a lot about financial education um, on the podcast and how important it is. And, you know, no matter how, how often we talk about it, I think you, we cannot stress enough how important it is and how a lot of some of the, the issues that you have sort of later in life, maybe with, with budgeting and, and managing money and your finances really could just be gone if you had the proper financial education in place. So I think, yeah, everything that Go Henry is doing is great. Um, I'm really quite a big fan. And I, yeah, I just, I hope they continue and I hope it really makes a difference. And I guess in, I suppose, I don't know, 10 or so years time, we'll see if it has made a difference because that's when all the, the kids will be growing up and starting to manage their money. So yeah, no, it'd be, it's really cool. I especially like this idea of sort of, you know, you grow up learning about money everywhere. You then decide when you're a little bit older, you want to you want to move to Germany, you want to move to France, and then you already know how things work over there. It's not a case of, sure, I mean, budgeting is the same everywhere you go, but the sort of specifics that you would you would have to pick up from being there, having already learnt about it due to the new partnerships that they're making now, life is just much easier. So I think it's really, really good. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much uh, for bringing those stories to the table. If you want to hear more about any of those or anything else uh, about fintech, head on over to the Fintech Times website and you can read all our lovely news stories and insights. Um, But moving swiftly on to what I learned this week. So each week, so much new information crosses our desks about the fintech industry, though we're constantly learning things all the time. So we thought it would be super cool to share it with our listeners. So Francis, what did you learn this week? So I'm a big fan of ice hockey and I put out a tweet on social media and on LinkedIn asking for partnerships and announcements in the sporting world. And I found out this week that that the NHL and its associates have announced Sweet as its official NFT partner. The Sweet-operated NHL marketplace will focus on providing the entire community of NHL fans and collectors with a unique and valuable engagement experience through the opportunity to buy, sell, collect and trade never before offered pieces of NHL history. I just thought it was really cool. Yeah, that is super cool. Um, and Tyler, what did you learn this week? Well, this week we were doing a lot of uh, work on Africa, and I, I found uh, out about African Development Bank's uh, RASME initiative. And what that is, it's a remote appraisal supervision monitoring and evaluation initiative, and it essentially allows uh, bank staff to to collect data and to approve data in the field, so without actually being within the bank. Uh, and Rwanda have actually just joined the scheme and are the first East African nation to do so. So, so yeah, big movements in Africa. Uh, what about you, Polly? Yeah, thank you, Tyler. So what I learned this week um, was that Fintech Wales has appointed a new head of skills, uh, Gemma Hallett, who is a former teacher and international rugby player. Um, and I just thought that was super interesting because it kind of leads back to what we were just saying about Go Henry and basically this role... Uh, is going to be helping develop and retain fintech skills in Wales. And I just think, you know, that's so important. It leads back to what everything we were saying about financial education. And I just wanted to shout out uh, Fintech Wales for, you know, doing that and hopefully some really fantastic uh, fintech education in Wales coming up. Um, but no, amazing. The end of another podcast, guys. Thank you so much for joining me once again. It is always a pleasure to talk about fintech with you. And yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see you next week. Guys, it's been a pleasure as always. I'll uh, I'll speak to you next week with more exciting stories to share. Really enjoyed this one. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. 
Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at The Fintech Times.